There's something beautiful about the emotion we call love. We're on a mission to find out more about how it affects every being. It all starts with perception. What if our perception of the world and its many inhabitants expanded? Every being has a different vantage point. When we truly know a soul, we find solace. Asking questions with an open mind and heart is how we learn how to relate to one another. Relational healing goes beyond the surface level. When we listen to someone on a deeper level, we fear less and love more. We're all teachers. Every being on this planet has a gift that is meaningful to share. This podcast is about expanding our vision and illuminating the threads that weave us together as a community. Simply put, this podcast is about the lessons in love we learn along the way and our journey of being our true self. Welcome to Unified Threads. Yeah, so Samanwe means a group of people coming together to to do something, to uh, like on a project or like actually Samanwe means to uh, come together to work for common good. This is Amy, a co-creator of this podcast, here with Megha. Megha and I recorded this interview that you'll hear today about four months ago in October of 2019, and it's now February 2020, so we've been slowly trusting the process and just making sure it was the right timing for this episode to come out. And it's been about a year since Megha and I met as well, so it felt like great timing to release this. Megha is with us now, and we just wanted to find out if there's anything that you wanted to add to the episode since it has been a few months about what you've been learning since then, and then we'll get into our interview. Hi, Amy. Uh, nice talking to you here. Nice to hear from you, too. So I'm currently in Karnataka, and last time we recorded in Rajasthan. It's two different states, yeah. And has anything new happened? Any new realizations come to you since this interview? Uh, yeah, I think I have tried to understand uh, myself as a practitioner a lot. And I've been trying to understand how I can work on the ideas that I shared last time. But I'm also try, um, realizing that I think on ground it's very different because I have also gone to uh, uh, gone for uh, some different community work and there i've realized that on ground it's very different and what i read in the books in the documentations it's very different so yeah i'm trying to figure out i'm still trying to figure out how we can make it to bridge the gap well that's exactly what this episode is all about and the title summon day as we just heard, um, working as a group of people uh, is what we decided to call this episode since that is what it seems like a lot of your passion is driven by is, is helping to learn how to work better in community or how to create systems that really center livelihood and, and, and the importance of us taking care of each other. So is there anything else you want people to know about why we named the episode Simon Ve? I just remember one conversation that happened, I think, two weeks ago that I would like to add for now, which will be a great insight. Two of my friends were talking about how they think all the NGOs have started working towards the corporate side, which is good um, to adopt a systematic approach, but then actually how gaps are again being built up between the community people and the NGOs, like the individuals who were working for the people on ground. And for the listeners that might not be as familiar with what NGO means, that's non-governmental organization. And here in the U.S., they're often called nonprofits or 501c3s. So, mm -hmm. so thanks for, for sharing that very important po point. And yeah, let's just get into the interview and you'll hear more about how we met in the next uh, audio clip. So... Thank you for joining us again. Happy 2020. We look forward to talking to you and hopefully those uh, other people you're working with later this year for more episodes. Yes, definitely. I will be waiting to talk to you and listen to this podcast out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And if anybody wants to get in touch with us about 
uh, the work that Meg has involved with, definitely reach out through unifiedthreads.com. And here we go. Mm -hmm. I like people to call me Mega. Yeah. Mega and I met when I was visiting a project in the social sector in uh, Rajasthan, India, where Mega was working on her thesis project in regards to livelihood for her design college. And then uh, on my way back out of the project, we decided to share a cab to the next place we were going. And her hometown was on the way or one of the places she grew up. And we were just getting to talking about system thinking and other aspects of, of just working in the world and what we're passionate about. And that's really what connected Mega and I more on kind of like a, a soul heart level of, of being interested in similar topics. And so we decided to meet again and had some conversations uh, about the various systems and organizations we've both been to, and that's what inspired me to invite her to be a part of this project, because we definitely have a lot in common. So thanks for joining us, Mega. We're really happy you're here. Thank you, Amy, for having me here, too. It's really great to meet you and, like, talk to you about different things. Well, I feel the same. It's good to have you. You have inspired me in a lot of ways. Talking, we talked a lot about, like, bottom-up approaches and, and kind of growing from the roots. Mm -hmm new systems that are more holistic and that involve more nurturing of, of everyone involved. And so I wondered if you might tell us a little bit about your story and, and your roots, where you came from and where you currently live. Yeah, so I belong to uh, Ajmer, which is a city in Rajasthan state in India. Uh, like I've been brought up in Ajmer and I've originally belonged to a state called Uttar Pradesh in India. So like there are two different uh, like states about which I know. And then after that, like for my education, I have traveled to different cities. So, yeah. And your family roots, you said, are from Uttar Pradesh and are now living, they live in Rajasthan. Is that right? And so my father uh, is an engineer, so he he had a job in Rajasthan. That's why he settled in, in Rajasthan, while my grandparents is still like have roots there and they used to stay there uh, in Uttar Pradesh. Okay, and what made you decide to study in other areas? Like I know you went to a design college, I believe, in Bangalore. And for those of us that are mm -hmm. not as familiar with the geography of, of India... Can you explain a little bit about just how, you know, really it's so many different cultures. It's, it's not like one area is the same as the next and how you decided where you wanted to study? Yeah, uh, like, like uh, it's, I think it's more about how many, uh, like, where do we get access to what kind of education? Like India is so huge and there are so many like different culture and you always want to learn different in different culture and you want to like experience different things. It's not like what is there in Rajasthan is really different than what is in Uttar Pradesh and like Bangalore is in Karnataka. So like what is like the education system is very different there. So I, uh, so when I wanted to pursue designing, I realized that like the colleges, everything that like the education system is much better there. That's why I like went there and pursued designing there. Whereas like uh, for my undergrad, I was doing engineering and that I could do in Rajasthan itself because I could find recent colleges in Rajasthan. And what exactly did you study there? And what have you been learning about from that sense with the projects you've been to? Yeah, so I did industrial designing there in Bangalore uh, from Shishti Institute and like the industrial design course is about like making of products. It can also include textiles and furniture, but my journey has been like very different as a design student also. I've been uh, uh, like motivated to work towards community have uh, and like most of my projects have been in the craft sector with the people for the people so yeah like designing has like given me a different perspective about like how on a larger perspective we can apply these ideas rather than just making 
of products. And I know one of the things that we connected about when I was there also is about self-learning and, and you know being self-taught, self-directed education when it comes to looking at mm-hmm. how people are getting into that, that work. Um, and so I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about your passion around that and, and working with people in a non-instructional manner. Yeah. So I can talk about, uh, I think uh, I should share this story. Like when I entered the designing college, like when I, when I, I thought of like specializing in industrial design in that particular institute, I realized that I I had this idea about making things. But then I think in the first semester, I was introduced by college towards a community project, which was again in uh, like in Hampi, which is a heritage place in uh, in Karnataka itself. So when I was doing a project, I realized like when I talk to people, when I connect to people and understand, listen to them, I feel like really good. And like, I really wanted to work for them. And that's how I started thinking how I can connect my learning about industrial design as well as community learning, uh, like uh, community work together. And that's where I found a common point that is crafts where I can like work. So I started working in the craft sector for diff- in different communities overall during my institutional learnings. And what does the word crafts mean generally to you? What does that bring up for you? Yeah, so craft is uh, to me is like a practice that is like practiced by uh, like a group of people where they share a similar kind of process of making or use the similar medium like the material or the similar tools equipments to create something that is like a like the common practice is a craft for me so like when we met uh, that time when i was working on a project the like how I started was I started thinking about livelihood. I started thinking about how in an individual's life, what all aspects matter other than work. Like I, I work to earn, like for that matter, any artisan works to earn, but like what other aspects are there? Like the health is there. Like, uh, like, are they really happy about working? What is there? Like, are they able to learn more? What excites them to work? What motivates them to do the same work, to practice that craft? Because when people see outside, they might be fascinated. Oh, this is a, uh, this, like, this particular piece of work is by that community and they do this thing. But my idea was what is affecting, what other things are affecting their livelihood? Are they really happy by doing what they are doing? Are they really getting that identity, what they want to do? So that project was a kind of case study for me to like reflect on all these aspects to have a better understanding of what all other factors really are like impacting the livelihood of an artisan. And can anyone be an artisan? I mean, how do you define that term, artisan? That's actually interesting in some manner that I feel that anybody can be an artisan. In my past, all all the communities that I have been working with really weren't like, you know, uh, like what they never had the practices like from their ancestors. They are like, inheriting some kind of art or some kind of practice and that they continue. Most of them learned a new technique to do a particular work and they started working in, and that's how a group of people came together to work. And that's how these like community practices are being going on. So yeah, I think anybody can be an artisan. It's about how you learn the medium or the art to practice it. Mm-hmm. When artisans are learning about something or when just people in general, you know, just anyone that wants to, you know, learn something new, you're very uh, interested and passionate in in ways that we can do it in not an instructional manner, like no people coming in from above and bringing in a manual on what to what to make. 
So how else would it go? What, what do you envision when you think about how people create stuff and learn how to create things? I think, uh, so there are two parts. One thing I would say that, uh, like when we teach people that, uh, that like when we, uh, like, you know, introduce about any new thing, like when even about informing people who are from different backgrounds, what medium would be great for them to learn, to like understand those things. So, it shouldn't be like I'm coming from somewhere and I'm talking about things and they're not able to grasp it. So I think that I feel it is more understanding and talking like it should be mutual talking and then taking uh, it further. So the way you are imparting knowledge to them, like rather than telling them what is good, you're also telling them why that particular thing has to be done. So that way you are actually informing them to take it forward and like let them do on their own. So that's what I feel is not, not is like non-instructional as compared to where you go and tell them what is good. So they do it that way. But that's, that, that is something that is instructional manner for me because they might do it for smaller period, maybe a little more longer, but they won't ever forever be able to take those learnings forward. Because the why is missing. Because of the why that is missing, Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you feel like that information being only available in in like an academic setting is is perpetuating the hierarchy? That is definitely there. And I would say like not even most of the academic learnings are you know defined that way i think what our academic learnings are focusing on who gets better grades no matter how they are learning and what they are actually learning it's not about why they need to learn a particular thing it's about what they learn what they can show to the people okay what they can pass the exam for and that's what our academic learnings are also focusing on i was like i I think i was really privileged and like really happy blessed to go to the uh, that kind of college where i could learn about these ideas where i could see these kind of perspectives about like why it is important to see all these things why it is important to introduce or learn all these kind of learnings so i feel that in general it's missing at so many places not only in a community or like at another, like in another sectors, it's also missing in our academic educational system. Thanks for bringing up that point. When we had talked about having people be able to choose a little bit about what it is that they want to be involved in and, and finding out more about their aspirations. So how did you approach that during your thesis work? So before my thesis project, whenever I worked, I, re- I have always realized that whenever uh, you enter these in these community, people are not very, like, you know, they, in the first go, I've not felt that they've been open to people like me. So, uh, so there was a barrier initially to talk to them and like, to understand. So like, how I started is I t- started talk. I start talking about their lives. What are their daily practices? What time do they try to come on work? Why are they working there? Who like? And the be- the best thing is to talk about their children. What are their their aspirations about their children? What do they think they should do? Like what they are studying, which standard, how they are able to give them that kind of education and these kind of points actually could let me talk to them and they could open up about their daily lives and then you talk about how the organization wherever I have worked like I've always gone through like the link was with an organization so like how the organization has helped them and that's how they start opening up about what is benefiting them what is not or like what do they in general feel about the organization and the work they do? Because you said they're sometimes not open to people like you. What do you mean people like you? We all know that uh, everybody has a different kind of privilege to be able to learn in different societies. So I come from a background where I have been privileged. I always like 
have felt that I've been privileged to get that kind of education about designing or like at least travel and see things and understand uh, what is there in the market to do different studies and I was privileged to learn all these things. When I go in these communities and I, like I have also met some people in these communities that who, who go and tell these people, oh, this is how it should work. This is how, this is what should work. This is what should happen. And that's when these people think that these uh, like other people come to them, people like me come to them with instructions. So, they feel like you know these people uh, like people are coming from privileged background and they are just telling them instructing them and that's when there's a barrier because of this hierarchy in the system that they are in which somehow like makes them uncomfortable to work with people like me and for people that are maybe new to the understanding about like the handicraft sector can you share a little bit more about mm-hmm. kind of the scope of that in in your context, where you're at in the world, I know it's very different from the U.S. Um, and from other places where people might be listening. And so I just wanted listeners to have a better understanding and a context around what does it mean when you talk about the handicraft sector in India specifically. Mm-hmm. So I should say that, like, uh, maybe I can share this, that when we used to talk about craft in older times, how craft originated was like within a community, one person is contributing, like, uh, for example, like there's a a potter who who does pottery and the other person is working with metal. So how a a person's like, he makes pots and these pots can be used by other people in the same community and the person who's made, using metal for different things so he he might make knives to serve another people so this is how the exchange of handcrafted things was done in back then and that's how there were different group of people practicing a different kind of of work and that's called, that used to call a craft and and like for people like for me craft is that like how we create these kind of uh, pieces that are handcrafted while I think like because I've been in a place and I have like talked to so many people most of the people around me now think that handicrafts is something that is like aesthetically more good looking rather than functionality so I think over time this like handicrafts has taken a different image in the perspective like the, the the way the people think about it but in the way that you think about it do you see it more along the lines of, of functionality like is that what you're working towards is uh, finding systems that see that aspect and are working on that definitely definitely especially like when we talk about uh dif- like climate change when we talk about how we should be minimal in our practices how we should be minimal in in terms of resource using and other things. I think what we should do is think about how these things can be more utilitarian rather than just aesthetically appealing. So like how we can serve a bigger agenda rather than just like decorating these things. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking on that topic, what to you is important in a system that would create those types of crafts? Like in crafts or in general? In general, either way, yeah. Really the systems thinking now, where would you, where would, where do you, what do you think is most important? Yeah, uh, I think like a group of people who, who like work differently, who have different kind of uh, uh, background, maybe I can say, and, have different ideas about different, like someone has an idea about health, someone might have an idea about sanitary, and all these people come together to serve each other and live together. And like someone grows food, someone uh, someone practices, some different, different practices are being happening within a, a single group of peoples. That's where I called it like 
in a system there is a chain that everybody is serving and like all the things are happening we talk about serving each other i told you like already there's so much hierarchy in the system that people already feel that you know some people come from privileged backgrounds some people don't come from those kind of backgrounds and there's always this hierarchy which defines people with different lifestyle status and uh, and many more things and these things create barriers and that's that's why the system is not about serving each other it's it's becoming more about who has more and who can grab more and like who has what kind of lifestyle and who can reach to that kind of lifestyle what is like the at the highest in the hierarchy system what about at some of the projects you've been involved with in your your self studies if you will um you know have you found that the the ideologies of maybe the founders or d- directors have been fully embraced by those that are creating the crafts that might be sold by that organization or however the relationships work what have you found there i think like uh there have been multiple scenarios with me i have what i have felt is like usually when we talk about the founder of any organization and when i have talked to them personally i feel that they they are still motivated and they still think in the same manner uh be it like the basic ideologies that you know the artisans are the ones who are creating who should be given the most importance and there are many more values that the founder of any organization comes up with while at the same time i felt that when people from different backgrounds and different ideas come some of them are so disconnected with the ideology of the fo- founder that you know uh they just like dismiss what the founder's idea is or they just in the system while working on their own they just forget that you know what was the basic ideology and what they try to do is like you know for either for marketing either for like different ideas i can give you an example like when i was working like not working i went to visit this uh, community that creates products and uh i uh, and i was take i was like doing some design thinking workshops with the artisans and i did some story narratives and all and i did kind of introduced the color schemes to the artisans when i went back to the organization i talked to the designer who was working in the organization and i told her oh see that this is what we could introduce and she told me oh artisans are not the designers they can't really understand what the color scheme is whereas i actually felt that the artisan could understand what the color scheme is so like you know like this this gap that you know the founder thinks something else he is still following that and the other people whom you meet in the organization and they come with the, these kind of like that girl thinks that you know she is the designer and like she has been privileged but she uh, to learn all these things but she can't understand how the artisans can also learn the same thing so these kind of things have been weird for me and did the founder of that organization or just like the organization in general say that the mm-hmm. learning was coming from the ground up yes that's what uh, like the founder has always like in so many times i've always felt that the founder always feels that you know it's with the people so like whatever people choose to do whatever like one thing i definitely understand that when like when they start initially the organization or any group when they start working the group of people is so small and when it grows the the gaps keep on increasing in the system but whenever these people from outside enter the system and they come up with different ideologies and don't respect the basics it becomes really bad for the system when you were going in there and you were focusing on their aspirations and you were you were hearing like a lot of them were also of course thinking about their children and education for their children and stuff did you see that there was a gap is that what you're saying between like their livelihood needs getting met and the work that they were doing like was there a gap there still what are those livelihood aspects that really need to be 
looked at carefully and intentionally planned around in your perspective? There are different, uh, several aspects, actually. Uh, one thing, first thing that everybody, like most of the artisans uh, said that they would like to be heard by people, uh, especially like when there is someone at a uh, like higher level in the system, like at the higher hierarchical system, uh, they would like that person to hear them. So, like, so many people have told me that, you know, they don't interact to the, to the person who, who is directly implementing uh, so many things or, like, whose decisions are impacting their lives or, like, their work. So they would want them to hear. Apart from this, I think the health sector is there. As an individual, everything depends upon the work, like, where they live, where, what they eat, what what are their sanitary conditions? What are the health conditions? How all those things are being implemented? How they can think about their children' future? All these things are actually impacting their life. Something that I I remember us talking about, and it's in some ways fortunate for us to be able to connect in English. Wondered a little True. bit about that and how you you saw language also. True. So the the factor that you know the, how who all people are actually visiting that organization or who all are the people with whom these artisans interact with. Uh, it's, it's a huge gap because most of the people who come in the organization speak English. But these artisans do want to learn English, but it's not necessary for them. They feel that when someone comes, they should be able to communicate to the people who visit the organization in Hindi. So there's this gap where they want to learn. They sometimes go, but then whenever they, they had workshops to learn English, they, they at the same time, they also had work to like do. So how do they, like, they can't compromise their daily work because their daily wages will be affected. So like, how will they, how can they balance that idea of how they learn these languages? And then, and sometimes they feel that when everybody comes comes to meet them, why should they be the ones who should speak English? Or uh, why can't there be one person who can translate whatever they say to the people who are coming from outside? And in your experience of going around and talking with people, do is there usually someone that can translate correctly for them? I mean, what does that usually look like? I think what I have felt is the artisans are usually offended by the factor that whenever someone comes with with a t team of people like who are visiting the organizing organization these people uh, voices are not heard and the person who usually takes the tour tells the narratives that are that are in his head and not the narratives that are by the artisans and that's where the gap is and that's where they feel that you know there's this disconnect uh -huh. Do you have any thought on why there's that disconnect? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, like, I'm not sure about like how this disconnect can be. Like, maybe like you know how they learn English. What are their arts, or do they really need to learn? That's still a mm -hmm. question for me. Do they really want to learn English? I I still feel that they might re not really want to need to learn English. Uh, there can be like one person among them who who knows English and like translates everything. So there will be a person of their own trust who does all this work. So they, there will be more, like they'll be more trustable and they, they'll be more, the artisans will be more happy. Uh -huh. like obviously having been a person from the US that visited a project, like I am also one of those people that came in, you know, only speaking English and I'm mm -hmm. just grappling with how do those of us that do only speak English still be able to have meaningful connections with people that are creating the products that maybe we eventually end up buying or the spices that eventually end up in our food or there's so many so many things that are coming out of um, other cultures into you know the market that it's just yeah that's part of what I just wanted to talk with you more about we don't need to have the answers here I, but go ahead what were you going to say yeah no but I think 
that's not just this portion i think that's that's the problem in whole over india like there are so many languages spoken in different parts of india and like this is a, 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 the place where we met the there the language that was spoken was was the one that i was well aware about and i i've been brought up learning that language whereas i have worked in different communities where i wasn't even like i didn't know the language so like when i used to go in that community and like you know the interaction point was just the gestures by hands what we try to communicate it was just that so like it's a huge problem in india it's not just like a smaller part everybody has a different language and how do you bridge that gap that you know these different languages and most of the people find that english is the common point whereas some people still question why should english be the common point in india like the common language in india is that even more common than hindi i think I, like i don't know the statistics but yeah i feel that among my friend circle i feel like you know those who are coming from different parts of india the common language is english for us because we don't know other different different languages one person might know two to three languages from india but still he cannot communicate with everyone so yeah english is the language that we prefer to talk in your thesis project title is hindi right yeah yeah some in way So would yeah. you be able to share a little bit more about the deeper sense of that word in in Hindi and why how you were able to incorporate this while you were doing this work? Yeah, so samanvay means a group of people coming together to to do something to uh, like on a project or like actually samanvay means to uh, come together to work for common good. So that's why the project was titled as samanvay because my idea was understanding how for livelihood different people work in a in a like in a group of people or like a, a group of people work in a community for a for like for a common good so that's why it was named samanvay and uh, later on in my when i was doing my thesis project i had these several times where i had i, I was able to collaborate with different sections within the same organization so like they they all are people that belong to the same region geographically but they were so segregated by the sections that they don't didn't want to help each other so like how this like what is the boundary of this group of people who are working for a particular section and why can't they take help and how they become like one for a like for a project like for my project i know that i could involve so many at least three different sections for to create a single product so that's when i felt that it's different people coming together collaborating for common good when you say section what does that mean i was working in the uh, like if i am working in the wooden section there are these sections that create textile pieces maybe there are sections that Uh, the that have weaving section or uh, like these kind of different sections different materials they're wooden. working with basically yeah different materials different kind of products producing different techniques that they are doing ah uh, okay okay collaborate with them and what about the the sustainability factor when you're thinking about working with all these different materials what are your thoughts on that and also the income for the people how is that um working i think the uh this this is something that is a huge gap uh still in most of the organizations that i have visited is that like the artisans are not aware about the sustainability though in their own houses they are well sustainable in their own practices because they are so minimalistic about using some resources but when it comes for work like i know there was this uh, community who who told me that they they are sustainable they don't use any harmful toxic chemicals or anything and then they were using these kind of paints to paint a particular product and i was like what is this and why are you painting the, uh, why are you using these paints and they told told me oh these are not harmful for kids and i was like no they are so like 
that kind of awareness about what is correct and what is not is still not there i think like the idea of sustainability also is like what uh, what is what are we sustainable about like is it because is it the sustainable livelihood like the longingness of the livelihood that the people are relying on the craft is it like going to last long mm-hmm. or the material that they are using is in abundance in nature but like is the practice of using it is itself sustainable is it is the practice is minimal so there are different organizations who have different levels of sustainability like some some organizations do work on banana fiber that's why i mentioned and water hyacinth again that's a plant that you can get from rivers so these organizations are thinking about sustainability in terms of using uh materials that are like that are in other sense based on earth like that are not useful for other things so they are creating products out of it do you feel that the reason for that is because of of just more consciousness around like the environment or do you think that it could tip in the other direction where now that there's so much being harvested from nature that it's no longer sustainable i'm just kind of wondering a little bit more about like where like the connection with the the people and the earth and everything comes in usually in this system thinking when these kind of projects started i think they are all like 20 25 year old projects where uh, wherever i worked especially so like all these projects started with the idea of sustaining livelihood and not really be thinking about like you know nature at the first point so i don't i don't think that when they started they started with these ideas but, but i think over time when we we hear so much about we should be sustainable in our practices we should be minimalistic about the resources we use yes people are thinking about it and these these kind of things i have always felt that it's usually like the founder or like the people who who been privileged to get these kind of awareness are going to these kind of communities and they are able to communicate these ideas and that's when the idea of sustainability is happening for the resources so it's coming from the top down and then not everyone is definitely like- so so it's interesting because you know when we see like in the past times uh, in the older times if we see the livelihood itself for the artisans was so sustainable like i know that the uh, like the cloth they wear on their skin and, and after that they use it for the dusting and then like it's used till it's like a complete waste they use like every bit of any particular cloth but now because they've been inspired by the patterns that are followed in cities they feel that that's good for them and that's when they they feel that maybe a piece of cloth is discarded for them and while if we try to learn we we are going back to the roots of what they used to practice what used to happen and not only those people like even when i think about how my granny used to create things out of her sari or she still uses her sari for different packing materials and also i feel that maybe we should learn from those ideas and that that can be the sustainable idea but then i think that was so into people that they didn't realize that those were the ideas about sustainability that in future can be inspiration So speaking again on your roots, I wondered if you would share a little bit again about just like how you how you came to to see and think about things this way um from from how you were raised because you mentioned your granny. Yeah, true. I think there are so many more things that so I uh, since I belong to the religion Jain, uh like Jainism has been considered as a religion where there are like such practices that are really difficult to practice for different people so like the jain priest i've always known that they either don't wear any piece on their body or they wear only one piece that they 
they don't even try to wash for longer time when it started back then it might seem a foolish idea to so many people that so some of them don't take not some most of them don't take shower for long longer times so when these ideas were there back then they might have sounded like you know a foolish idea it would it was actually like you know i also as a child used to sometimes make fun of these ideas but then when i was aware about them and when i started being informed about the practices i feel that those ideas are actually an inspiration for me today to realize to what extent can we go minimalistic to learn about these things and then when i talk to my parents about like when i talk to them about reducing plastic they might not realize in day to day life what how many times and where all they are not, they are using plastic but then when i start telling them these examples of how a jain priest would not use this or would consider this as to be bad and then we also can practice the same thing not to the full fullest extent but to some extent that's how like you know they understand and like there's a common understanding between my family and me that you know okay this is bad for us this is bad for the earth this is bad for this and these kind of ideas are now starting to like you know come up when people talk about empathy i feel like listening to people about what and why is something is happening rather than you know like creating our own understanding of what is already there and be like okay this is because i know that there are people who have been like inspired from different lifestyles because now the lifestyle is use and throw in so many places and like especially in india i know there's this trend of use and throw even the fashion industry that that is that is trending nowadays so many times is about you know create more products so they 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 make something that you know so that people keep on buying but they are not realizing people actually shouldn't be buying more so like when i go to people i want to listen like the empathy should be like when i listen to people take inspirations and try to understand why are they talking what they are talking about what are their ideas and what do they feel and how to how do i am like how can i like you know inform them in some or the you know either manner about what their practices are and try to show them the larger picture because what they are feeling maybe like they are in a shell and that's that's what like they they are able to see a limited perspective i think what kind of a lifestyle is actually a good lifestyle the society in which i live i feel that most of the people think about what is a great lifestyle that in terms of like they have this these standards that this is a lower lifestyle this is a highest lifestyle so what what a higher lifestyle person might do is buy five pieces of cloth a month while a lower standard might not might buy only two pieces of cloth in a month so i feel like redefining these these like what can be a lifestyle what are these different status for different people might really help people to you know resolve once we start unfolding these ideas about what a lifestyle could be people can understand more okay like maybe these are not the things that define you in a society or your hierarchy in the society and why why do we need a hierarchy in a society that way we, what should be the idea is who is being minimalistic about their practices who's still thinking about the earth and other aspects so like these kind of things are more informed for the people I, because there is some of the either kind of awareness i can take the example like diwali that just uh, happened like you know 3 days ago and like after knowing like most all the children around me are going to school and this in school they've been told not to burn crackers and still they burn crackers like i know for two days i was just listening crackers for like you know till 3 o'clock at midnight and like even if the children are informed they are not really you know taking things further because i think like it's also about in the society the lifestyle th- uh, thing that you know 
who burns more crackers, what kind of, like, who can afford that much, who is buying more for their children. So once we start talking about these ideas, that maybe something can be helpful. So it sounds like it's really like a, a holistic, like everyone has to to be willing to look at the privilege and how their privilege is also contributing to people like aspiring for only that and consuming more and more and more of the stuff that actually is not sustainable. True. Yeah. So it takes a whole like community approach. And, and how would that word translate in Hindi, the word community? How would you translate that? And what would that meaning be there? I think uh, uh, like uh, the word that I mentioned for my thesis project, Samanwe, is actually community, like a group of people working together. For a common, yeah. common vision. Good, yeah. Like vision, yeah. Like I feel that's what for a community word is for me. Otherwise, like you can think about a community in so many more ways. So like once... Uh, I had this conversation with my teacher. She was talking, I, I used the word community in the class and she told me, how can you use community for a group of doctors? A group of doctors are not community. So I think the definition of community is very different for different people. So yeah. That's what this whole podcast is about, is, is learning from each other what what we feel and what we think about when we think of community. And of course, all working towards this new vision of living in a place where there's not this like normalized suffering for some people to have more than others so yeah so my idea of like committee is where like people are not defined by like different status they are they are not going for different hierarchical levels in the society but they are thinking about the common good and like and not only for like not only like human centered but also about animals as well as for earth like for different things that are there around them so that they can think about many more future uh, like many more upcoming generation rather than just what they have and what they want to achieve yes i'm very much on the same page with that and that's why we connected so much yeah <laughs> And I'm really glad that we True, yeah. had this chance to get to know each other over the last, I don't know, six, eight months since we Yeah, met. true. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners about your your passion in the world and what you're working towards? Any any vision you want to put out there in case somebody's listening and wants to connect with you directly, you can share now. It's up to you. If people want to work about the like on the ideas of sustainability in a system and like talk about bringing people together for common good, reducing inequality. If like these kind of ideas are there, like I would love to go for them and like would love to help them and would love to connect more people with whom I can go forward for all these kind of work. That's it. Like that's, that's what I want to do in future for myself, I think. Uh, they can send me a mail on meghajain, M-E-G-H-A-J-A-I-N, 0594 at the rate gmail.com. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been really great hearing your thoughts about this. I'm sure we're going to talk more about it. This is really just kind of an sure, introduction. Yeah. and um, This is an experiment to, to see who else out there listening connects with this and who else we can bring in and, and talk with about this topic thank you so much for like talking to me i think this is something that like some of the things that came into my mind that i have been for so long because of you so yeah thank you oh, so much well you really helped me to see things so much more clearly so thank you so much cool Last episode, I talked a little bit about Octavia Butler, one of my favorite authors, and I just finished reading a book by her called Parable of the Sower, which I highly recommend that everybody check out. It will have some um, really startling parallels uh, between what was going on in Octavia's fictional world and what is happening in 
2019, almost 2020, including uh, actually in the sequel of this book, Parable of the Talents, I just started this, um, she has a character running for president in that book who actually uses the same statement that he was going to make America great again. And I'm sure we all at this point are familiar with who has said that. I'm not going to mention that person's name. But this book, Parable of the Sower, really made an impression on me around how we can still um, support each other and the importance of that belonging that we've been talking about. Uh, and then, of course, this episode's been dedicated to summon Vey and, and to livelihood. And so I just wanted to pose a question and, and give the answer that Octavia gave in the back of Parable of the Sower, the reading group guide. This is from May of 1999 when she answered this. The question was, what would you like readers to get from this novel? What would you like them to think about? And Octavia answered, I hope people who read Parable of the Sower will think about where we seem to be heading. We, the United States, even we, the human species. Where are we going? What sort of future are we creating? Is it, is it the kind of future you want to live in? If it isn't, what can we do to create a better future, individually and in groups? What can we do? So I want to amplify Octavia's question. Uh, it's been very much on my, my heart the last uh, few months since I read this book. And I wanted to um, put it on the microphone and just see what that sparks for you. Wrapping up, I'd like to thank the amazing musicians that made this episode as audibly pleasure as it has been. We got to say hey to Bino Menetti, who made us the incredible opening music on his Rolly Seaboard. Thanks, Bino and Seaboard. We miss you, and we're seeing you in Brazil, hopefully, in 2020. Uh, also, thanks so much to Fundamental Sound Co., of course, and our producer, Taylor Greenshields. And thank you to... Jazzy Robot, who's going to be taking us out of this episode, and then the musicians at Ramana's Children's Garden and Rishigesh who brought us in. Check out the show notes. That way you can hear more from these musicians and learn more about Ramana's Children's Garden if you're interested. Again, the show notes are, can be linked right on unifiedthreads.com and just scroll down and you'll see them there. A side note, I do have a request for accountability for my community. I am working on putting a process in place to create transcripts for each episode. I acknowledge that this is something that needed to have been done a while back, and I am creating a system for this for each episode release going forward. Definitely is a priority for me. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, so if you are hearing this and you look back and you don't see transcripts, please check in and remind me. Um, but I am hoping you will be able to see all the transcripts uh, for people that would like to uh, check that out and uh, to be able to read the read along with the episode uh, or just want to read instead of listen. Um, so we're going to let the music from Jazzy Robot take us on out. Appreciate you and be yourself.
You just heard Crane Days, Golden After Loon, a special release in this podcast from Jazzy Robot. Check them out on SoundCloud, backslash Jazzy Robot, backslash. Links in the show notes. And thanks so much for listening.